Hey guys, Raj Nation of the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast here. We're gearing up to launch season six of the show and launch it to you on a brand new website. But until that time, enjoy this best of episode, one of our favorites, taking you back to season four, episode seven, with the founder and CEO of Uncubed, Chris Johnson, asking, how do you hack your growth? Enjoy, and we'll see you soon. I just don't subscribe to it. Not that you shouldn't. I've never been put in such a vulnerable position. I'm pressing hard now just to feel the ignition. My heart. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 50th episode spectacular of the podcast that makes you nod fast. It's Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. <laughs> My name is Rajiv Nathan. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. Per the huge, I am alongside the man in the middle, Mr. McFly, Martin McGovern. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we are with Chris Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Uncubed. Uncubed helps you learn new skills, strategies, and tips from today's most innovative startups and tech giants. We sat down with Chris and we talked about something that's been bugging him recently as he continues to grow his business and comes across a lot of companies in the tech space doing what are called hacks. Well, are they hacks? Are they cheats? Are they just being deceitful? Who knows? We explore all that and we talk about how do you hack your growth? Before we start, one quick reminder, head to idealemon.com and join our tribe, subscribe to our email newsletter, you will never miss an episode of this show. Let's start now with Chris Johnson from Uncubed. How do you hack your growth? Let's listen in. Thinking about growth and, and, and how to grow quickly or how to hack growth is something that's been top of mind for me for, for six years, which is as long as I've been working on startups or really going on, on seven years. But in particular, with this business. So my company Uncubed is, is four years old and we haven't had the luxury of lots of outside capital. And yet we're living squarely in the space where there's, there has been a lot of capital and there's been, there have been these tremendous growth stories. So we have grown more methodically than lots of our peers, right? So we, we have not uh, gone from a small team to you know 100 employees in two years or something instead we've gone from from two people to 15 in four years and so we we think about growth all the time and and think about how, how we can grow our business and then the other piece of it is is i've seen a lot of behavior that gets what i would say a free pass because it's called growth hacking that that really does bother me and I, and I wish people would think a little bit differently about about growing their business yeah and uh, let's kind of unhatch that a little bit more so this idea of growth hacking especially in the startup world is basically 
it, it's a sexier way of saying how do you scale and scale quickly, but oftentimes that comes at the cost of things you you believe in. Yeah, I've been trying to find a way to growth hack growth hacking. <laughs> so it's, it's been kind of a crazy battle that I've been <laughs> and, and within that, it's it's funny because I think we get so caught up in like the, I got to achieve the grandest vision and I got to do it tomorrow. So let me find the quickest shortcut route I can to get there. We always pick the worst floor to record on. There's like <laughs> a fire hose going off in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, no, uh, that's th- yeah, that's ahead. it. And I think, I mean, I think we're we're in this kind of magical time for starting companies where it's very easy to do, and the stakes are high, and the rewards are all around us. You you look at TechCrunch any day of the week, and you'll see someone who's growing so quickly that they're able to raise a hundred million dollars, or they're they're getting these these absurdly high valuations, or they're selling for for lots of money and that's just the 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 financial piece of it but the stakes are high and i think that 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 creates pretty perverse incentives for people to grow at all costs and so when i think about growth hacks there there's clever ways to grow i think a good example is is dropbox right they figured out that their referral program was really magical and early on, it accounted for a huge percentage of their growth, and it was because their kind of business was uniquely suited for referrals. So if I'm using Dropbox by myself, it's not as useful as if the three of us are all using Dropbox. And they tapped into that and made this really slick and easy referral program with the right incentives where everybody would get more space or more storage, and it was beautiful. To me, that is a wonderful growth technique. A, a less than wonderful growth technique is when you are automating emails or using people that don't work for your company, giving them titles so that the person on the other end feels important when they receive those emails, and, and really what you're trying to do is dupe them into, into listening to your pitch. Uh, or or things that are even more you know far more severe than than that and there's been lots of those examples over the years so it's it's interesting and I, I actually think a lot of it comes down to the choice of words I think a lot of the the behavioral decisions are affected by the fact that someone at some point and I don't know who called it a hack mm-hmm. And I think I think when when society in general has thought about hacks, they think about uh, someone who's good uh, with their. I mean, this goes back to like war games, right? And in the in the eighties, uh, but someone who's pretty handy with their computer who can break into some system that they're not supposed to be in. And there was definitely this element of danger and getting away with something and tricking someone and all of that. And I think that word really carries that connotation. And so when it's when it's applied to growth, I think that there's people take license and say, "Look, I can kind of do whatever I want," and 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 in our case, we're you know lots of times talking about startups. So and we're a startup, so it's okay for us to do this. Yeah, and I think uh, going back to one of the first things you said, like there is a tremendous amount of pressure put on all these companies that get VC funding to grow fast and to do whatever they can to get as many users as possible, like. The second you have an idea and you're like, I'm going to start a company, someone will be like, you're going to be the next Facebook? How are you going to get all the users, right? <laughs> and 
you know, all these, you know, we're, we're in this world of VC funding where it's like um, Shark Tank on TV and everyone's talking about it. And so you see people getting funding all the time. But what you're not seeing is the other end where all these people who are VC funded tried to go, grow too quickly without all their ducks in line and ending up failing. Because, like, it's not fun to report on every failure as, as much as it is to report on every, you know, $5 million VC funded company. And so what I love about, like, podcasts like Startup, where the whole second season was about a company who got VC funding, tried to, like, hack their growth and tried to grow and use Startup to launch their audience and all these things. And then at the end, they're like, actually, we're a lifestyle business. We're, we're not a VC company. And they took a step backwards. And I think that in this world of constantly trying to hack and constantly trying to grow, instead of focusing on who am I currently helping and how can I make their experience amazing? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's right. And then also just people forget that this stuff takes a long time. I mean, again, if you're going to build a business, it's really it's a 10-year it's a exercise. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it's the only company you, you work at you know, for the rest of your, of your life if it goes particularly well. And, and it, we've gotten to a point where no one looks at, or I guess very few people look at it through that lens. So it's like, how quickly can I build this thing and sell it and then you know, go to the beach? Yeah, you're starting with your exit strategy. Yeah. Yeah. In, in in effect. And that's one of the things like like Mark Cuban has said, if in your pitch you show me your exit strategy, I know not to invest in you because you're not invested in your own business. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And that, that's I, I always question that because all those investors, it's funny, they're giving you money, they want it back, you know, with a multiple of it. And so eventually you gotta sell and then they sort of penalize you for thinking about that stuff. Like I, I I don't know. I, I always, whenever I see a blog post that says we're building this company forever and it's a company that's taken venture capital, I think it's complete bullshit. And I think what they're really doing is trying to get somebody to buy it sooner. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I think I, I want to go back to what you mentioned about just the vernacular behind this or the vocabulary used, right? Because it's hack yeah. and hack has become a sexy term now, right? Like life hacker. Would it be as successful if instead of calling these things life hacks, if we called them life development skills? Slowgrowth.com. Slow yeah, right? And, it, and, and it's the same thing. And it's funny how much choice of words influences your perception of something, even down to what I've always thought is funny is you go to this wine bar, you go to this nice restaurant, we've got a, you know, there's, there's wine flights, right? Like that's a thing. But then it's like... We have our meatball flight. Like we've got our quesadilla flight. If you go to Chili's, that's called a sample platter. <laughs> but, but because you're at a restaurant that calls it a flight, now it's this elegant thing that you're like, oh, I'm sophisticated. I would never eat the sample platter at Chili's. Oh, but you've got the cheese flight here. Oh, right on. <laughs> no, it's true. I mean, a lot hinges on it, and and it's interesting. I don't know the answer. It, we should we should look it up. Uh, you know who who first called it growth hacking, and and you have to wonder what what was what was their goal? Were they just like, hey, you know what, this stuff is undervalued in growth companies or in innovation, and so let's take a word that's made software developers super valuable and co-op that so that we as marketers can can sort of be thought of in that same light, or was it someone who was like, you know what? 
uh, intelligent marketing or something just doesn't have the right ring to it. So let's just call it growth hacking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently, Sean Ellis coined the term growth hacker in 2010 in a blog post. He defined blah, 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 blah. Um, but uh, I like to think that it was Game Shark back when Sonic the Hedgehog came out and they were like, cheat code, stick it in, get to the next level. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's true, right? That was the original, like Game Genie and Game well, Shark. Game were... Shark trained an entire generation to be looking for ways to hack the system. It's like A-B-B-A-A-B-B-A-B-B-A, right? <laughs> Up, down, left, right. Yeah. The original hack was yeah. the blood code in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, that's so funny. Yep, yeah, it's... You know, it's like, what did did that do it, or was it just again all these incentives? And you get these. Uh, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. It potentially, could get me in trouble. <laughs> the there's a there's a company in San Francisco. They were they were called the fastest growing SaaS company of of all time. Okay, it's a B two B play. Uh, I'm going to make it very uncomplicated for people to look up and figure out who this was. <laughs> it's, it's a B2B play. It uh, came out of uh, one of the top accelerators. And they, again, they were called the fastest growing SaaS company, the, the fastest growing B2B offering of, of all time. So while this is going on, I get this email from the CEO. And I, I happen to know who he is. I've never, I hadn't met him, but I happen to know who he is. And I'm like, hmm, that seems like bullshit. If you are the fastest growing company in the history of companies for this kind of business, for a B2B business, it's unlikely that you, as the CEO, are emailing me, a at the time, 10 person, now we're 15, 10 person you know, startup on the other side of the country. We're in New York. So that seemed unlikely. Now that, is not a great offense, right? Because we get these letters all the time from the bank. You get the, the, the printed letter and it's got blue ink and a signature like the bank president actually signed it, <laughs> right? So we're, we're, not, we're not fooled by that. So that initial email is not an offense. I don't love it, but it's not an offense. What happened after really got me thinking about this. So I responded mostly because I didn't like the tactic and I wanted to see what would happen. So I responded with his name and said, hey, would be love or I'd love to look into this and, and potentially use your service. Well, that kicked off a whole chain of responses from whoever was on the other end, still pretending that they were the founder. Like I was having this dialogue with, with, with this person, right? This is a company who at the time, now at this point they had raised hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, scaling very, very quickly onboarding hundreds of new companies at, at a really fast pace. And I'm getting this back and forth from, from the CEO. Uh, it was pretty quick for me to figure out that this was actually not his address. I mean, that's obvious, right? So there's a team of people doing this on his, or that were doing this at the time on his behalf. And, uh, and they had created a secondary address that still looked plausible. So it still had his, his name in it, but it was just a different formulation. So not even his real, his real email address. Okay, so now I'm feeling gross. And yet the, the service that the company offered uh, dealt with my employee's personal information. So here, I've got this company wanting to do business with us, 
basically lying to me to trying to get our to try to get our business and I'm supposed to hand over my employees personal information. It just does not sit well. So my problem or the thing that I think about so much and I and I and I really would like it if if you know lots lots more people did too is to what end are you growing? I mean, this company was, they've, they've since had a lot of trouble, but at, at the time, they were a darling of the press and, and lots of it for how quickly they'd grown. And then you sort of peel back and you look at the tactics and it's like, what, what are you doing? You know, you're duping people into thinking they're getting this very high level attention from the founder of your company and they're not. And, and so it's like, to, to what end? To what end are you doing it? You're yeah. getting corporate catfished. <laughs> so the, the old switcheroo. Yeah, that's that's a good, that's a good point. It is it is the, the the switcheroo. So, but the you know the thing is the the system that's been created rewards that stuff. And there's lots of examples. And I, and again, some some are some are in a gray area, right? I mean, Airbnb early on, it was controversial when it emerged that one of the ways that they that they added a lot of listings quickly to their site was that they they created or at least the 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 accusation was that they created fake craigslist posts so again same sort of thing it was lauded as a clever growth hack and even back then i was thinking you know is that a hack or is that a lie (laughs) i think i think that's a i think that's a good question yeah and it's it's interesting because, well, for several reasons. I think particularly in that case with the fastest growing startup, <laughs> B2B SaaS provider. <laughs> the startup that shall not be named. Yeah. Um, with Voldemort. Um, <laughs> that particularly in that case, as you mentioned, it's a company whose like, the premise of their offering is give us access to your social security numbers your bank accounts, that kind of stuff. Exactly. And the first touch point is I'm going to create a pseudonym. Yeah, I'm going to front on you. I also think it's interesting how just me personally, like you you talk about the one company and I'm like, ew. And then you talk about Airbnb and I'm like, yeah, but I love Airbnb. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's true. And, And again, I mean, I think there's degrees. It's all a little bit, or some of it's gray. I think some of it's very very binary but it's it it also i think it is it, it does depend on the service yeah i think doing it in the, so you can drive more people to list their properties i mean it's a little less offensive than hey we want to offer this service that requires your personal information and let's let's kick the let's kick things off with a lie and it's also it's also like when I would read about Uber, right? And um, all their marketing is like Uber is for the drivers, like make a living as a driver and all this stuff. And then the next day I read an article from the CEO who's like, I really can't wait until we have automatic cars that replace all of our drivers. And I'm like, but your advertising yesterday told me that you care about drivers. And then your CEO today is telling me that you don't care about I, I still love Uber, but I know people who are like, ban Uber because they want to like whatever. And I'm like... Yeah, but it's over. So like, I'm gonna still use it. Um, so I think it's just interesting how like, when you're in the world doing this stuff and trying to figure it out for yourself, right? Like, so every day we have to make business decisions on what level of 
like ourselves do we share with the world? What are the ways that we're interacting with people? How much of our time are we giving? How much time like should we like maybe automate? We're looking into things like what would be good to automate? We don't know, like things like that. And you're constantly making these decisions all the time about what to do with your business and really this authenticity piece is key. So it's like what are you comfortable with as you grow? And and like not and, and being okay with that so that you're not being constantly influenced by uh, the pressure of either VC funding or the media or people who, you know, just because you have an idea, they're like, well, you should scale. You should have 200 employees next week. It's like, no, no, no. I need to grow at my own pace. I need to figure out what's right for me. And that authentic authenticity piece, I think, is so important. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because, you know, because quite frankly, the startup culture that's really really emerged in mass over the last five years has been such a breath of fresh air for the workforce, right? And especially for young people who don't want to go work in the stodgy office, maybe where their parents did, or at least parent, or people from the prior generation did. So it's been so refreshing that, that people are creating these workspaces that just feel better, they feel more human, they're creating dress codes and expectations of dress that are more relaxed, you can wear jeans and sneakers. And you can even have a beer at four o'clock if, if you want in the office, and that's that's okay. You know, stuff that just wouldn't fly in, in the traditional kind of cubicle office space, and yet is is now people have taken a, a fresh look at. So that that stuff is great. I think though, it also gives people somewhat of a behavioral free pass, and I think that they think that they're entitled because they have those things and they've created this this new kind of workplace that that it also means they don't have to or it, it also means that they can cut some some moral corners and i always and the joke and not, it's really not the joke it's more like the lens that we use around here is like if walmart did that would we be upset <laughs> and i think i think that's an interesting way to look at some of this behavior so if Walmart was sending emails, you know, pretending like, you know, back and forth emails, pretending that they were, that you were actually talking to the, the CEO. I, I mean, if that emerged, they'd be on the front page of the New York Times for weeks, yeah. right? And, and so- It would be a scandal is what it, it would be. It would be a scandal, right. But in, but in, in startup land here, it's a growth hack. Yeah, yeah. And, and what I think from what you said before, and also tying into what Martin was saying about the authenticity piece, Chris, you phrase it as, to what extent are you willing to go? That's something that I don't, like, I don't know if a lot of people stop to think about that because they're just thinking about that bigger picture. And it's something that, you know, day to day, very recently, it's a lot of the conversations that Martin and I have been having about our business. And we're figuring out, you know, what model are we ultimately going to pursue and what is the long-term vision? Because, and this even goes to, Really, what world do you live in? Because that the growth hack mindset is the VC startup world. The world that we got most closely tied to over the last two years was the lifestyle, like solo lifestyle entrepreneur movement. Um, you know, like create uh, classes out of skills you have and, and sell these online courses, right? Are you familiar with that world? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and then it's, and it's like, that's a different world where VC funding is not even in the picture in that world. Mm -hmm. Cause it's all, you bootstrap your business, you create an email list and you sell the email list, et cetera. And then you've got the, we just, we did an event last night and we're talking to a bunch of people there who, uh, work in 
not even necessarily startups, but they're working at places like United Airlines. They're working at, I guess, more traditional workforce places. They're consultants, et cetera. And the things we bring to them about like, here's how you make yourself like ultimately employable forever. Here's how you do things you want to do like in life. And we're coming to them saying like, have a project of your own, create your own ideas, et cetera. And they're terrified to do something that's outside the boundaries of what their job allows them to do because that's the world they live in. And we were talking this morning and we were like, it's mind blowing to us because that's not the world that we're in day to day is, is that mindset. But that mindset exists too. And if you're surrounded by other people who have that mindset, then that's all that you know. So in the Silicon Valley life, right, all you know is Silicon Valley-esque startups. So you're constantly thinking, how do I grow tech this? Well, and you're only able to compare with people who are around you, right? You can't compare with, like, we can't compare ourselves with a VC-funded company because we're never talking to VC-funded companies. We're only talking to other people who have our similar business model. And so if you're in the in the the world of growth hacking and everyone around you is doing worse stuff than you, it justifies yeah. the, the thing. You're, you're like, well, I'm not as bad as them, right? And and you're constantly only able to compare to the people right above and right below you. And if you feel comfortable in the relation, it's all kind of relative. Like as you move, right. as you hit a wall, you're like, well, in order to get this wall, I have to do that thing that I said I never would want to do. But otherwise, the company's gone and the entire thing that I've built is gone. And so it's like the ends justify the means, and the means are justified by how relational or, or the relativity of the people around you. Yeah, it's true. And I, and I think to, to your point, like you're, you're making all these decisions all the time, and, and for sure, not all of them are going to shake out to be the purest decision. Sometimes you got to do stuff that, that you know, maybe you are pushing the boundaries, or maybe you really do need it to get to that, that, that next level. The thing that I, I just wish there would be, and I'm hopeful that there will be more awareness around what some of this stuff is. Like, just because it it makes you grow fast, it's not automatically good, you know. And there and there really are two buckets of tactics. There's the one like the Dropbox referral program. It just works brilliantly for that business, and they they grew very quickly. I mean, that was certainly a quote unquote growth hack but just a perfect execution of matching a tactic to a dynamic in a product and, and nothing untoward, you know, not fooling anybody. And then there's this whole class of stuff where it's basically like, how much can I dupe this person into thinking I'm something, that we're something we're not so that they sign up quickly and we can get lots of, of people on board or, or users or customers or, or whatever it is. So it's. It's interesting, but what I like so much about your approach and, and some of the things that I've heard from, from you guys is, is this focus on getting people to be that voice. And I think that, I think that people don't realize, or, or maybe none of us just stop and think about this enough, how many huge companies start from some simple thing, whether it's a blog or a newsletter, which is what the three of us have talked about in the past as a, as an interesting approach, but it's impossible to see that in those early days where you're struggling to figure out Mailchimp or you know how the how just how long the the newsletter should be or or what the you know how do you write a good subject line or whatever like all these very basic things you just have no real way unless you're crazy you have no real way to to think that that's going to become this huge enterprise 
and not that that's even a goal, but just to know that that it that it is possible. And then, and yet you look at the the genesis of so many big companies, and so many of them did start with something like that, where someone became the voice. Yeah. You know, and and I think if if you can become the voice, I, I think I think that coupled with a very long term vision of okay, I don't know how long this is going to take. It may take two years until this is actually something a little bit larger. It may take ten, but if you take that those two things, I think you've got a, a pretty powerful platform to to build something on. And I think with that, it's right, like you said, right? You don't necessarily know what it's going to unfold into, and that I think the good side of that is like our whole thing for a few years was we're experimenting. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna we're gonna. We're gonna do things that interest us and test different ideas and see what see what people gravitate towards and then just start leaning into what sticks more and what we enjoy doing more. And like we just earlier this week I was like, it's kind of funny that a year ago today we were having week long like week long conversations, multiple week conversations about how do we build an online course and what is it gonna be about? And then fast forward one year to you know today or to this week, and our conversation is how do we reform education? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like, and, and it's oh, go ahead. it's probably because the the events are great. I mean, you guys are you guys are you guys put on a great a great show, and so people love the content. And now you're getting that endorsement, and you're realizing, huh? Initially, twenty five people or however many like this, and now we know that we're hitting hundreds of thousands or, 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 or beyond. And, and so it just, I think, you, you know, you get that, you get that endorsement and then it, it allows you to see the next, see the next phase. And that's where, that's where the authenticity piece comes in very strong because that's actually a lot of like, you know, the, the quote unquote struggle we've had over the last month as we think about what are we going to build this into long-term? Like I mentioned, right, there's the three different worlds that I talked about, like the employee not thinking about doing creative projects, the online entrepreneur world, and then the VC world. And because the thing we've been so most closely tied to the last couple of years is the online entrepreneur world, um, we've only been looking at, like, what are they doing? But we've naturally been doing things differently from that. So we're like, well, why aren't we growing like they say we should be growing? And it's like, oh, it's because like none of them are saying go and do events. Like they're all saying go from behind your laptop and find a beach and just you know build a list through guest blog posts and that and things like that. And our whole thing was like, let's get out in front of people and put on really fun workshops and presentations, and let's talk about how we're not perfect at everything and talk about the things that we do wrong, which is not necessarily like the what the, what is the recommended play. And that's where we've struggled. And then now we know now we're not going to be the carbon copy of that online entrepreneur model. Well, and I think um, kind of to kind of put this into a a practical sense of everything that we're saying up to this point, it's like you really have to know yourself in order to know what your boundaries are, because everyone's opinion on this stuff is completely it's all subjective. Right. What I think is right and what you think is right when it comes to email marketing is completely subjective. Um, and I might say that it's wrong to email blast a certain way, but then, you know, but then I think it's totally fine to write an email that's like, uh, hey, see you tomorrow in the subject line, right? And so, like, somebody will look like at that and be like, why are you trying to, like, pretend you know me or something like that? Or why are you using the F name where it, like, automatically populates the name? That's kind of trickery, isn't it? <laughs> like, everyone has a different opinion of what is right and wrong. 
and the whole scale it's just like you know a sliding scale and I think what's really important is when you come upon things you need to really have that authenticity of yourself and understanding of what you believe so that when you feel that like icky feeling inside of yourself you get to say okay this is how I'm feeling when confronted with an opportunity to do some sort of growth hack now what do I do and you get to either choose to pursue it or not and I think what we've what we've found in the past is every time we hit a point where we're like let's let's get more people but then pull back the value that each person gets we've always gone back to increase the value lower the number of people and so that's just been a constant thing it's it's always been how do we keep the value the same with every new person that comes in and of course there's a breaking point with all of that as well um, but like I think back to like workshops and stuff like that's how it's always been and so we've always foregone massive growth for high value and I think these are all individual choices people need to make and with that as well that idea of Chris to what you said about like to what extent are you willing to go or like, the way we framed it up recently in our, one of our own conversations was what game are we willing to play and when it came to that internet marketer online entrepreneur model we were like like one of the keys to growth in that model for most people is affiliate commission referrals mm -hmm. and we were like like we don't want to play that game like i don't want to be blasting the people who trust us with some other guy's course and i don't want to have to pester that guy about come promote my course and we'll you know jerk each other off basically and like if that's not that's not the table i want to sit at and that's and that's because of these like what feels right and what are we willing to play and what what extent are we willing to go to yeah that's 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 it and and it's interesting again i mean i think we're we're all faced with these these choices and i think martin you you captured it it's just it's it's just helpful to think about where your own boundaries are and then when you're confronted with those you can you can make those choices and and uncubed my my company i mean we we've, we've certainly had to face some of those and and you know in some instances sure we've we've pushed the envelope with with certain things uh but we're unwilling to do these things that that really are you know again what i would argue are are really duping people into thinking that they're dealing with something that that they're not and i think that that stuff has gotten so pervasive and it's so endorsed i mean there's even you'll see vcs there's a there's a tweet that was from months ago and it's still just burned in my brain there's a partner at one of the biggest vc firms in silicon valley who said that uh it's journalists fault for not it, it, it is the fault of the journalist for not uh or for for believing lies that they hear and and even you know that kind of stuff so here you're getting you're getting an endorsement from arguably the biggest gatekeepers in in sort of the the startup world or the real growth company world, these high profile VCs who who are saying, if you can get away with it, do it. Go ahead, lie to the journalists. And and the reality of that is that these are these are private companies, so you can the the journalists. I mean, there there are tools that they can do, and there are there are tools that they can use, and of course there are there are other other approaches that they can take to try to verify information but uh to some extent there there's an ethic there when you're talking to a journalist right so if you've got if you've got 500 users and you're telling them you've got 500,000 and and then you think it's it's their fault for not uh you know figuring out that that's a lie it, it, i mean to me it's just a just a bust in the in the ethics of of uh you know giving an interview so 
It's, it's interesting. There's more of our conversation with Chris Johnson in just a moment. But first, are you looking at your career trying to get to the next level, but not quite sure what that next level even really looks like? Well, you could definitely use the help of a peer support network, guided career workshop, and personal branding boot camp rolled into one. That's actually how Morgan describes the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass. He's a current student in our program. In the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass, you go through a 10-week journey that is one-half self-awareness and one-half taking action. You'll actually build and create your own side project. This is not a series of lectures on resume and cover letter writing. You can Google that information. This is all the stuff you can't Google. Learning about yourself and learning how to create something of your own so that your name carries value wherever you go and you can walk into any door, whether that's a new company rising the ranks in your current company, or starting something on your own, in the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass, you make that come to fruition. In fact, just recently, Andra, a graduate of our program, emailed Martin and I to let us know that she was hired on as the chief commercial officer at a company that is in an industry which she cares deeply about and wants to create change within. She entered our program in the figuring it out stage of her career. She told us that she wouldn't have had the courage or confidence to approach these opportunities without what she learned in the master class. So if you are looking for an inspired, mission-driven career, if you want to figure out that next level of your career, and if you want to do work that you love, Apply to be part of the Discover Your Inner Awesome Masterclass at www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Again, that's www.discoveryourinnerawesome.com. Back to our conversation with Chris Johnson. Yeah, I didn't know these VC guys were Aladdin. Uh, (laughs) You're only in trouble if you get caught. (laughs) Well, and that brings up another point, as you mentioned that, not even in the startup or VC world, but one of the things that bugged me uh, I used to work at a marketing agency, and I, I think this is just kind of like the marketing agency advertising world standard. Um, you know, you pitch something to a client, and they'll be like, "Can you like pull together some research to like say show this is a good idea?" And it's like you find the data that will support the argument <laughs> that you're trying to make, and ignore all the data oh, that yeah. would say this is a bad idea, <laughs> or you'll be like. You'll conveniently phrase it in a way. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, like, oh, just delete that slide. Because yeah. Because that one shows something negative. Yeah, you know, it'll be like client. 40% of African-American males who own a home say they would be interested in receiving uh, sweepstakes information via email. But but we only took this population, yeah. not the entire population, <laughs> because it shows a bigger spread. Yeah. And those kinds of things always bugged me because it, it numbers just, can be manipulated so much. And it's just it's a it's a backwards approach. Instead of saying, "Here's the data. What could be created from the data?" It's saying, "Here's what we created. How can we fudge the data to say that what we created makes sense?" Yeah, that's it. That is it. So how how long have you guys been been like? When did Idea Lemons really start? What was the when do you guys think about the first day you're working on this? So it was a side project for three-ish years, and then we came full-time last year. Um, it started with a phone call. Uh, I remember I was walking from my girlfriend at the time's house, and it was a nice day during spring, so I was walking along the lakefront path for like 30 minutes, and Martin called me during that walk. And he was like, I went to this really crappy networking event. And I was like, yeah, I've been doing some crappy networking events recently too. And we talked for like the duration of my walk, which was 30, 40 minutes. And we're like, all right, you want to just see if we could like throw our own and see who shows up? 
and we'll do it a little bit differently. And we're like, okay, let's do it. And we like, we, we planned that for like then six months. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, our first like official thing was September of 2012. We hosted what we called a knowledge working event, which was have a network, have a small networking event. That's about a topic and all the discussion centers around that topic. So people got to not, didn't have to come in feeling like they had to like be anything. Yeah, they didn't have to talk about the weather. They got to talk about something real. Yeah. And so that was yeah, that was 2012. And then it slowly grew to the point where we went full time in uh, July, and then uh, we did a road trip where we took the podcast on the road, and so we went full time like business mindset, absolute like nose to the grindstone. I think that's a phrase. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I would say that was like uh, October, November. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And I'm always curious about why, especially with with businesses where the growth has been more methodical, right? So it's taken a few years, let's say, to, to find your footing or, or whatever. And you, and you, know, you can include ours in, in, that, in that bucket. How often did you think about quitting? And just not doing it. <laughs> so, okay, so last, last March, actually, I was like, hey, I think I want to go work for this company. Martin was considering leaving his, his job at that point and potentially mm-hmm. going to work for his dad's company or something similar. Yeah. And <laughs> either his dad's company or his dad's company's direct competitor. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember saying, like, we, we were at Next Door Cafe in Lincoln Park, and I remember saying, like, we were on that front couch, you remember it? Yeah. And I was, like, I was like, I think the reality is, like, we're probably one or two years away from really going full-time on Idea Lemon. So, like, if, if this other opportunity comes together for me, I'm going to take it, and I think you should take the thing with your dad. And that was our conversation. And then I don't know if it was the same day or sometime very shortly after, we were like, no, wait, we've been having this – we've been saying forever, this is a side thing that we want to make a full thing, so – Let's, why don't we just use now as the opportunity to do that? Yeah. It's like take the frustration and channel it. And then I'll tell you too, uh, towards the end of 2014, uh, I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship and just personally felt shitty. And I thought like mentally I was like, we, we hadn't done anything with Ideal Lemon for like three months because mm-hmm. uh, the job I was working got super busy. Your job you were working was taking up a ton of time. And then I had the thing with my my. Uh, getting dumped by my girlfriend and I was just not like mentally in a place where I was like I can keep doing idea lemon and we didn't do anything with it for three months and I actually thought we were just going to pull the plug on the whole damn thing and then we like, came up with an idea for a podcast yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so no there's definitely been uh, there have been a lot of moments and yeah. I, I think the crazy thing about it though is like even in the moments when we found ourselves not focused on idea lemon in our personal lives, we were still taking all the things that we do with Idea Lemon and helping people with them anyway. So, like, I help people with their career trajectories and their and their resumes and their cover letters and their elevator pitches, even when I wasn't thinking about Idea Lemon throughout my life. And so, like, going all the way back to college and before. And so, it's like, when people still come to you with these things and they ask you to do them, and you're like, well... I used to have it all formalized. I mean, I could just show you the formalized stuff and then it just keeps coming back to like, I can help people with this need. So of course I'm gonna, I'm gonna find a way to help them. And I mean, I think with Uncubed, like I came to one of your guys' events back when it was at the River East Art Center. And it's like, it was such a breath of fresh air from every other um, like career event that I'd been to. 
and it's it's like you you can't get that out of your head. You want to keep helping people, and so even if you're like frustrated or down or whatever, what at whatever point, you're like I still like to be authentic to myself. I still need to enact these ideas that I've been trying to build forever. It's it's interesting. I mean, I think I think the the hardest thing. And I think it's fair to say, especially young people now, most people have at, at least at least considered starting their own thing, or it's a, it's a thought that that's crossed their mind, even if it's dismissed. And then you have a whole class of others that 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 do try it, and and somewhere along the way they 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 give up. I, I mean, I really think that the the is one of the huge pieces to success at something you're you're trying to do is literally just staying in the game is it's just getting yourself to go that next day that next month that next year and and i mean could you know could you do that forever and sort of you know waste waste your life miss out on all these professional opportunities you could but i think that it's everything is so cumulative when you're doing these these projects or you're building these businesses and you meet one person and then you know six months later they come back around and they have some introduction for you or six years later or, or whatever but I think, I think this is whole there's this whole story of of building businesses that doesn't get told these days in in terms of how long it takes mm-hmm. and I really think like half the battle is is just staying in the in in the game so good you know, good for you guys for for uh, not taking those jobs, and and for you, Martin, not going to work for your father's competitor. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and oddly enough, like I think the thing that always kept it going for us is that we would be at opposite sides of the spectrum whenever we'd hit one of those moments. Um, I remember, like, and even today, like um, when I'm like the most down about the business, you'll be the highest. And then when you're like having a bad day, I'll come in and be like, yeah, I got a whole bunch of new ideas. And like somehow because we've had a co-founder this whole time, like if I hit a rut personally and I didn't have you excited or if I got strep throat like last week, like it, it stops the momentum. And I think the hard thing is to get back moving once the momentum stops. And if you have a co-founder, you can like seesaw each other's momentum. And I think I've seen it a lot with people who have an idea who are trying to build it by themselves. Like I've created this website. I'm thinking back to a friend uh, right after college. He created like five or six different websites that he tried to turn into businesses, but he did all of it alone. And so whenever his life got hard outside of that little project he was working on, the project just disappeared. And then he'd come back to it three months later and be like, ah, it's over. I have to start from scratch again or, you know, just move on. Yeah, you guys are going to be in, in trouble that day when those downswings are in sync, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's been that, your experience with that? Uh, it's It's been good. So my my co-founder and I, we, we've now been working together for, for five years, but it was... Uh, I mean, we we've definitely had our our ups and downs, but same thing, right? I mean, you you feed off the the other person, and I, I it's a much different experience to build a company or 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 a project, you know, on your own. And I think doing it with someone else is is super super helpful, and largely for for those reasons, because you you have those, you know, you've got that that 
support system and you have those days when it's just it's just so hard the funny thing about our business and and we're we're as excited and not as we're certainly more excited right now than we've ever been because we we've gotten to the spot where we have an audience and we have a customer base and finally 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 we have a product we have a software product that uses the internet <laughs> and, and, Ooh, and the internet i know i know <laughs> And is and is scalable and 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 for the first time we have a, a pretty clear vision on how this can be a much larger company. But the funny thing of it is is that we started. So here we were deeply embedded uh, in the tech space, and we started our business with two of the most old fashion business models <laughs> that are that are alive. One is the newsletter. Mm-hmm. So. So not only is that the warhorse of digital media, I mean, new, the newsletter itself goes back a hundred years for sure, and 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 more than that, right? Uh, so that's that was that was one, and then the other was the job fair, as as you pointed out. I mean, our our events have evolved a lot, but but initially a big component of it was this job fair, and it was a job fair for startups. But the 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 funny thing was was you know there we were surrounded by all of these really really progressive technologies and we were writing the best newsletter we could it was still a newsletter and then and then putting on these events that that try as we might people still did reduce them down to to hey this is a this is a job fair and so it was it was interesting it 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 created a lot of challenges and 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 the thing that we stuck to so our our stated strategy the, the history of, of uncubed was was born out of uh absolute implosion of of a another project that we were working on so Tarek and i were working with a with a team on a software product and it it didn't work out Tarek is not a programmer i'm not a programmer we had at one point up to three programmers slash co-founders working with us and it was a pretty damn good team uh on paper but it fell apart very very quickly and so there we were holding the bag on a software product and neither of us knew how to make the stuff (laughs) so we stopped and i i I remember the day very very clearly because it was a it was a a dark period in, in in my life i mean i'd never really failed at least to such a in such a way that that impacted me so profoundly at work right i mean it definitely screwed things everybody screws stuff up at work uh now and again but nothing like this where it was just such a such a attack on my personal well-being right i was trying to build a company and it didn't work and so we sat and made new rules and the rules were we're going to basically build this business backwards we're going to go get the audience first and then down the road when we have that audience if we're aware and we listen to them we're going to know what they want and what they want we can translate into a product that can ultimately build a much larger business so those were the rules and the other one was that we had to control however we got the audience we had to be able to control it and Tark was and and still is great at events he's been the the mastermind behind all of our events and i had some experience on on the content side and had written for a few places and and things like that so we said there it is 
we're going to launch a publication, which Chris can run and manage uh, with some help. And then we're going to run some events, which Tark can run and manage with some help. And that was the basic formula. Of course, we didn't know that it would take over three years for us to really get to the, the, the product side, but the, the, that's how our business was, was formed. And that's, like you said, right? You just you keep sticking with it. You, like, like shit happens, right? <laughs> it's not unpredictable shit happens. Even predictable shit happens. And you're, <laughs> you're just like, oh my God, this is the end. But something inside you is like, maybe we can keep this going. <laughs> and that's kind of like the, you know, I, I, I don't think everyone in the world is suited to be an entrepreneur because you need to have a certain mental state about you but the common theme amongst all entrepreneurs is that we're all crazy to a degree and it's like because you're crazy to that degree you're like all right let's make a decision to not make money so we can make money <laughs> and potentially not as much money as our uh yeah as our counterparts in the in the uh, corporate world yeah and i was like you're, we're so crazy. It's like, what are you doing on Friday? Ooh, I'm going to be going home, getting on my laptop, and I'm going to be updating MailChimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. But it, it is interesting. Like, I think it, it just comes back to some of the authenticity. And again, I'm not, I'm not by any means trying to, trying to come at this from some moral high ground. I just want people to think about this stuff. Right? And I, I just, you see so much behavior that's endorsed by this system and, and people don't think about where that endorsement comes from. I mean, investors have huge, huge returns at stake if one of their, if one of their companies does extremely well. Uh, you know, if they're the first money in on something that ends up being worth billions of dollars, I mean, it's a, it's a once in a lifetime or once a decade return for them. So the stakes are high. And, and so the, the system has kind of been created to endorse these behaviors and then maybe there's some vernacular at play in terms of, of hacking as opposed to you know really caring and, and providing value for your community and i think ultimately a lot of those businesses that choose the super hacky stuff i mean look some people are great at that and they create some system they grow faster maybe it's maybe it's using some tactics that i don't love or, or, or you guys don't love or whatever, but uh, they're good at it and they grow fast and maybe they grow fast and sell and they kind of win, you know, for what they wanted to do, they, it, it works. But I will say some of these companies hit real bumps in the road. And I think a lot of it is attributed to some of those decisions that, that are made. So the, the unnamed company that I was <laughs> referencing Earlier, uh, it had a pretty spectacular bump in the road slash implosion, and and I think it comes from some of those some of those decisions and just some of the tactics that were endorsed just to try to grow it at, at all costs. And so I think if you if you take this more authentic route, it also keeps you coming back to work. Right, because those days when it is so shitty and it's not working, and maybe you're losing customers, or you have a bad event, or you get a bad piece of press, or whatever the infinite, you know, downers are, are one of the infinite downers that uh, that word subject to presents itself. I think it's compelling to go to work if you're saying, well, we know that 
we do that workshop next Thursday, there's going to be a hundred people in there that are, that are going to get something out of it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's why we appreciate you having this on, having, uh, coming on this and talking about this with, you guys are welcome here anytime. (laughs) (laughs) But that's why we appreciate you talking to our audience about these things, because I think the current system is so quick to discourage slow growth, right? They're so quick to say, if you don't make it in the first six months, give up. And that's causing people to feel pressured into doing these hacks that they're not ready to do. Or to never get started. Or to never get started or to give up too quickly. Like, how many times in the past four years did people tell us to stop? Like, oh, you guys don't have a scalable business model? Then why are you doing this? It's like, uh, because even if it doesn't work out, we're going to learn something. And we're going to grow as people. And I think that this whole mindset of just building slow ideas even if it never becomes a giant company it will not hurt you to do these things if you do it slow and manageable and you just try and find needs to fix in people's lives because what that will do is it will help you become someone who has to be empathetic to customers someone who has to learn new things constantly and it will help you even if you just have to stay in the nine to five world the rest of your life and never become an entrepreneur which is totally fine to do but you'll have these skills and you'll be able to do these things. No, that's, that's it. I said I wouldn't rant, but I, 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 might, I might get into it here. The, the, that, the, the culture of failure or the acceptance of failure. So this is something I've, I've thought tons about. I've actually written about it for Best Company and, and a couple other places. The, it, start, it comes from the best place, right? People wanted to say, look, don't let the possibility of failure discourage you from trying something. And that's good. That is a great intention. And people should, it's great that, especially in the US economy, you can get a lot of support for that, right? In other countries, if you fail, it is a catastrophe for your, for your professional life. You'll, you'll never get investment again and, and all these things. So fortunately, we, we don't have those, those limitations. But it went way too far and way too overboard. And I think what happens is that a lot of people, frankly, just blow other people's money or they waste, uh, you know, they, they, they waste a good idea because they don't stick it out long enough. And I think that there's this easy out. You have enough bad days in a short stretch and you say, well, it's okay to fail. Everyone says it's okay to fail. Failure is good. I'm supposed to learn from failure. Failure sucks. I mean, it really does. It's painful. It's like brutally, brutally painful. You don't want to do it. But if you if you keep slugging it out and you just keep at it, you, you, you give yourself that opportunity to get to get past those those issues. So I think I think this, you know, the community has kind of given everybody this free pass to get to get out of stuff. And and one thing that we always come back to is that we're building a company. So I think there's such fixation on building a product and, and that people forget about building a company, right? Like we've done all kinds of stuff because we haven't had tons of outside funding since the start that is not really core. Uh, there is long-term benefit of it, but the, the big one that Tarek, my co-founder and I always joke about is our, our dinner party series. So. We did the same thing. You got, yeah, I'm yeah. very curious because we yeah. also did a dinner series going. Yeah, <laughs> we 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 got into it very accidentally, and and we did it initially because because we we needed the money, but we figured out that brands would pay us for access to our community, and we know all these great companies, and we know the the leaders of these great companies, and it's easy for us to get 15 of them in a room, and and for brands they'll say, huh. 
those are influencers, quote unquote. Uh, I'll I'll pay you some amount of money to organize that and and put that on. So we we got we got into it for, for as a as a source of revenue. The the long term benefit has been great because we've had nice evenings with lots of uh, exceptional women and men that are running companies and and things like that. But the the you know through through these dinners, but it, it's funny like an investor and largely like the hyper growth startup system doesn't endorse that right they say that's not core don't don't worry about that and it's like well if you want to build a company like build a damn company if you if you just want to build a product then you're going to be subject to this this free pass for failure right because you're going to have plenty of signals along the way that your product's not working and then everybody's going to tell you it's okay to quit and, and our approach has always been like, build a damn company. You'll, you'll get to your product, you'll get to your big market share, all that stuff, but you know, don't, don't quit because your product is not you know, taking. You know, if we had adopted your model of dinners, that would have been really smart. <laughs> you said, hey brands, we've got this cool community of people. We can get them all in a room and you can pay us to host a dinner. We said, hey individuals in our community, can we buy you pizza? Well, yeah, can we buy you pizza? <laughs> <laughs> now, long-term benefits, yes, because we developed good relationships with people and learned things and got to introductions to other people who have helped us. Short-term benefits, it actually was negative. <laughs> oh, man, I'm kicking myself for that. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. There's, 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 there's an opportunity. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's great, though. But you're right. It's... it's um, you, you treat it less as, and this is one of the things that we harp on so much in, in, our, in our online course, is like indirect opportunities end up happening more and end up being more valuable than the direct opportunities that you're shooting for. Um, you know, like, I mean, just in our own lives, the people we've talked to who have then introduced us to someone else, who have then told us about something, like those are the most valuable things that have happened to us instead of like, like you rarely meet someone and then all of a sudden you're like making a corporate baby together or whatever, you know, if you, I mean, that's an analogy, but <laughs> you know, like you rarely oh meet God. someone and then it's like within one interaction, all right, let's, let's have a business arrangement. It's like that doesn't happen. And, and I really, I think actually with the exception of us, like, you know, having a podcast and being able to immediately talk to someone and create something together, um, really it's like six months to a year after you meet someone, if you happen to keep in touch is when you start to see the fruits of that relationship mm -hmm. uh, bloom or, or grow or harvest it. You're, you're killing the analogy. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, we need to wrap up. Uh, before we do, Chris, let our listeners know um, where they can find you. We've talked a lot about Uncubed so far, but just give them a, kind of a brief description of what Uncubed is and what you guys are working on now. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks again for for having me, or or I guess uh, you're, you're you're welcome for uh, hosting you on, on your podcast. Um, it's been a pleasure. <laughs> so I I'm again I'm Chris Johnson. I'm the CEO and and one of the founders of Uncubed. We're based in New York, and our our flagship product is an online learning platform where you can learn digital skills through short videos directly from top companies. So you can learn marketing, tech, and design and other business skills directly from leaders at top companies. And you can find all that on uncubed 
dot com on Twitter. I'm at Chris AJ. All right, cool. All right, so to wrap up, then we'll go one by one, giving our respective answer to the question. I like saying like that okay. as a hack. Right, we'll start with Martin, and we'll close with you, Chris. So, Martin, how do you hack your growth? All right, so I, I really liked what we were saying about the long road instead of like the get funding, shoot up to the top, and then crash land. Like I heard a story of some someone who started a company and they had like a hot tub in like the lobby, like wasting money. Um, so I really think uh, the slow growth is the way that you actually hack. It's not quick. You 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 avoid hacks and you go the really long route. And by doing that um, and having a co-founder along for the ride with you, uh, you'll actually be able to stick around long enough for something to something really valuable to land. My answer for how do you hack your growth, um, I'll take the personal route on this one, actually. I think, and you guys can tell me if you agree, of everything that has happened in the four years of our business and the five plus years for your business, Chris, um, of all the, you know, the whatever income we have made off of it or revenue we've made, um, of all these things that have happened, things we've spoken at, et cetera, I think the biggest thing I can like honestly say is that I have learned far more about myself than I ever would have otherwise because we decided to just start a project right? and it turned into a business. But because we decided to say, let's do something. Let's not just go to work and then go home and that's kind of the end of it. Complain. And, and I, sometimes I'll have these moments where I'm like, man, I thought I knew a lot last year, but I know so much more now. And, and like I keep knowing that every year that's going to pass, I'm going to know even more about myself and the things that go into what, you know, who I am and all that stuff. So I think to hack your growth, you've got to ha- start something of your own, whether it's a business, a creative project, you know, being in a band, whatever that might be, because without having that thing that you're always holding yourself accountable to, then I think you really sacrifice a lot of learning opportunities for yourself. Chris, how do you hack your growth? You don't hack your growth. So growth is not a hack in my in my book. You 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 have to earn people's trust, earn customers' trust, you know, earn your community's trust, and you should be aware of of big opportunities and and those opportunities will come up, but I think you can do them in an authentic way that is not uh, is not deceiving to to an audience. And so uh, my formula is a don't don't hack your growth. Be be aware of the opportunities that are that are there, and then see stick around. If you stick around, your odds of being successful, I think, are are dramatically larger than than those for for most people trying to do similar stuff. That's awesome. Earn, don't hack your growth. <laughs> Earned, not given. <laughs> All right, Chris Johnson, but not the running back. <laughs> no, I'm as a result though I'm ungoogleable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. <laughs> No, it's great. It's a good life. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. And in the theme of sticking around, after we do this outro, saying thanks for joining us, stick around. (laughs) Thanks. That was our conversation with Chris Johnson. Chris, thank you for joining us in what turned out to be our 50th episode spectacular. Can you believe it? 
And I thought this was just a perfect conversation for that being our 50th episode. We've stuck with it for 50. We talked about sticking with it in this episode, and I bet we'll stick with it for at least 50 more. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes, as well as subscribing to the show. Those things in combination help more people find the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast, and therefore, more people can discover their inner awesome. It's a win-win for everyone. You can find full show notes for this episode over at idealemon.com, as well as the information to contact Chris. That completes this 50th episode spectacular. Shout out and thank you again to Chris Johnson from Uncubed for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. If you turn your head over-